Welcome to week three of Ghost Stories. We're sharing stories of the Holy Spirit's faithfulness. Come on. They're Holy Ghost Stories. And we're talking about how to share our stories with the people in our lives. If we haven't met before, my name is Ashley and I'm the senior pastor here. And I'm so glad that you've joined us this morning for week three of this series. And Here they we surprised me at 9, so I knew that they were going to be surprised when we get at 11. <laughs> but you didn't know we were going to do it twice, and now we brought Jay! Jay's a surprise! Bonus! Today is Pastor Appreciation Sunday, and October is the month of Pastor Appreciation. Yes. So I encourage you, appreciate your pastors. In the Bible, it says, at 9 they brought me flowers, at 11 they brought me my husband. We brought you Jay. Come on, let's honor Pastor Ashley and Jay. Thank you. We are so thankful for you. While you're standing, let's honor Pastor Dave and Debbie, our other pastors. We're so thankful for them. We honor them. Come on. Thank you, people of hope. All right, you can have a seat. I just want to tell you, uh, in the Bible, it says, honor your spiritual leaders. They watch over your soul without resting, since they will have to give an account to God for their work. So it will benefit you when you make their work a pleasure and not a heavy burden. So we just wanted to come up and honor Pastor Ashley and Jay. During this month, we encourage you, if you have it in your heart and you appreciate the work that they do and the account that they give for your life, show them some appreciation and some honor in however you would like to. We have a card for you, Pastor Ash. Oh, thank you. This is from the staff team. We are so thankful for you, our families, uh, our family. We love you, and we're so thankful for you, Pastor Ashley and Jay. We just want to pray for them really quick. Jesus, we thank you so, so much for the gift of Jay and Pastor Ashley in our lives. Thank you for anointing them and choosing them to lead us in this house, in this season, in this time. We ask for blessings upon their life, for healing, for their family, for protection, for your blood to rest on them, for favor everywhere they go. We ask you for provision and blessing and abundance to overflow their cup for life and life to the fullest for them. We honor them, and we thank you, Jesus, for blessing us with them. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Come on, one more hand for Jay and Pastor Ash. We're so thankful for you. Thank you. Those are my office mates. We share an office together on one side of the conference room, and then the other team's on the other half. And man, what a privilege to be your pastor. Thank you so much. Thank you for honoring me. It really is a joy to get to serve Jesus here. It's the greatest honor of my life. And I'm so thankful for this church and for each one of you. And thank you for just practicing honor. It means so much because I know that doesn't happen everywhere all the time. And I love being a part of a house where we choose honor as one of our core values. So thank you to all of you. Happy Pastor Appreciation Month, right? All right. I've got a Holy Ghost story for you. Are you ready for a ghost story? All right, good. Uh, last Saturday night, I was tucking our eight-year-old Sophie into bed, and I get her covers all nice. We prayed. Um, I kissed her goodnight, and then she said, ah! I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, something is pitching my arm. And so I looked at her arm because I was like, maybe there's like a spider or something. You know how that happens sometimes, especially at night. And there's nothing on her arm. It's completely fine. It's not even red. And she, she's like, it's still pinching me. It hurts. And I just said, in the name of Jesus, whatever is tormenting her, leave. And immediately it stopped hurting. Her face, her eyes got so big. She's like, <gasps> she's like something just flew out of my eyeball, which is weird, right? It's weird. It's okay to say that it's weird. Whatever it was, I said, we're not going to give it attention. You're covered by the blood of Jesus. And she went to sleep. And 
I tell you that story to be real with you. There's the Holy Spirit who is from God, who lives in us. Come on. The same power who raised Jesus from the dead and gives us authority. And then there's other spirits. We don't have to be afraid of those spirits. They don't have any authority over you if you are, you know, a child of Jesus. You know, they're afraid of you. But sometimes we don't know that and we allow things to do what they want in our lives and in our houses. And I just want to tell you, you don't have to allow anything like that. So I just simply, I didn't know what it was, if it was anything spiritual or not, but I just prayed over it in case it was. And then it immediately was better. So thank you, Jesus, right? Come on. Today's text we're looking at is Jesus' first miracle. It's in John chapter 2. You can turn there now if you have your Bible. And if you don't, we'll put it on the screen for you. And basically, chapter 1 is all about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And it's talking about how Jesus got here. And uh, John the Baptist is in chapter 1. He tells everybody that, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. I saw the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove when he was baptized. So Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. In chapter 1, Jesus is going around recruiting his disciples, saying, come follow me. And they were following him. Then we get to chapter 2, verse 1. Three days later, there was a wedding in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were guests also. When they started running low on wine at the wedding banquet, Jesus' mother told him, they're just about out of wine. Jesus said, is that any of our business, mother, yours or mine? This isn't my time. Don't push me. She went ahead anyway, telling the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. All right, so to set the scene, a Jewish wedding is one where the entire town is invited. So everybody's excited when somebody's getting, their ma getting married. They're like, let's party, woo, woo, we're invited. And it's not just like a couple hours on a Saturday afternoon. It's a Tuesday, and they're going to party all the way till Friday night. So they're days and days of partying. And they're going to eat good food. They're going to celebrate. They're going to dance. They're going to drink some wine. And if you run out of wine, let's say on day two, that's so embarrassing. Like these people are like, we came to party. We got to go home to get our wine now? Are you kidding me? It would have been a really terrible faux pas for the bride and groom. Not good. And you know this isn't something that's like raising someone from the dead on the scale of miracles, right? It's not something like feeding 5,000 men plus women plus children, 15,000 people who are starving. It's not something like healing a little girl who's dying or healing some blind eyes. It's wine at a party. Doesn't seem that important, right? People already had some wine. They're just running low. I love that Jesus is here. He's at a party. He's not like, I'm staying home because they have wine at that party. No, 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 no. He's our joy-filled Savior. Of course he's at the party. He's about to help the crowd have a better time, right? He cares about what we care about. The big things, like healing people, but also the little things, like wine at a party. It's not life or death, but he's protecting someone from embarrassment because he cares about them. He's using this miracle to start his ministry. Come on. I was reading on Facebook the other day, someone from our church, Sam Crane, she has a photography business, SC Photography. You should look it up and have her take all your photos 
If you haven't, they take, she takes all of our photos and they're amazing. But I love what she posted on Facebook. She said her Holy Ghost story to her, all of her friends. I swear, I'm God's favorite. It was supposed to rain all day today. I photographed a wedding for five hours. And when I got home from the wedding is when it started raining. It's not the first shot, shoot that this has happened to me. So she's like, hey, I'm God's favorite. He cares that I had a photo shoot today. And yes, it rained, but not until we were all done. I love it. She knows her identity in him. A daughter of God who knows she's loved, who attributes every good thing to her heavenly father who only gives good gifts. Come on. Now, the mother of Jesus in our story, Mary, she's the same way. She's like, I know Jesus. I know he's good. I know he cares about me and he cares about other people. I know if you have a problem, he'll help you with the problem. Jesus began his earthly ministry because Mary asked him to help. And this was in the days when men weren't supposed to listen to women. And it wasn't his time. But God had appointed certain things for certain times. And Mary, she is bold enough to say, Jesus, they have a problem. And even though he says, it's not my time, we see that he's willing to do things before their appointed time when we ask. All we have to do is ask. A lot of times we expect God to do something and we're disappointed or mad that he hasn't and we actually haven't asked. Like He's like, do, do you want me to do anything about it? Are you going to ask? Mary's friends, they had a problem and so she just talked to Jesus on their behalf. He wants us to do the same thing. You have not because you ask not. So Mary tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. She doesn't know what he's going to do. She doesn't know if he's going to go buy some wine or get some from their house. She hasn't seen him do a miracle before, but she knows that Jesus cares and that they should do whatever he says. The, she tells the servants, listen. You know, when we pray, sometimes we forget the second part, the listening part. We're like, God, here's my problem. Here's what I want you to do. And he's speaking and he's giving us a next step. Like the servants, he wants us to listen and then just do what he says. Mostly we just listen. We bring him the problem and then we do what he tells us to do because he can see way more than we can see. He knows way more than we know. He knows better than us. We just listen. When you're telling people about Jesus, point one today is remember that Jesus cares about what you care about. He cares about what you care about. So when you go to work tomorrow and someone's telling you about their weekend and all the hard things that happen, remember Jesus cares about those things. And you can talk to Jesus for them. You can tell them about their problems. You can tell them that Jesus cares about those problems because not only does he care about the big life or death things, but he cares about the little everyday moments. And we're about to see he's not like, Mary, they had enough to drink or that could be too much. It's going to get out of hand. No, he cares about their problem. God knows every hair on your head. He knows when you sit down. He knows when you stand up. He knows when you're asleep and awake. He cares about what you care about. He cares about what the people around you care about. Let's look back at our text at verse 6, next part of the story. Six stoneware pots were there, used by the Jews for ritual washings. Each held 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus ordered the servants, fill the pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. When Jesus tells you to fill the pots with water, you fill them all the way up, right? right? Let's talk about these pots a little bit. Why did he use these ritual washing pots? Well, these were the pots that every wedding guest, so the whole town, 
When they came in, they needed to do the ritual cleansing on their hands to be clean in order to go to the wedding and eat the food. Now, this comes from one law that God had given in the Old Testament for one group of people, just priests, in one situation when they're approaching God's throne. He says, when you're approaching me because you have sin, if you're a priest, you need to be cleansed because they didn't have Jesus yet. So this was how they cleansed themselves. And what happened is the Pharisees, they took that one law for one group of people on one occasion and they said, everybody's got to cleanse all the time for everything. They're just making religion. They're making traditions out of one thing that God said. The Pharisees do this over and over and over. And Jesus doesn't like it. So we see what he thinks about it in Mark 7 and verse 1. And you can leave your hand in John 2. Flip over to Mark 7. The Pharisees, along with some religion scholars who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus. They noticed some of his disciples weren't being careful with ritual washings before meals. The Pharisees, Jews in general, in fact, would never eat a meal without going through the motions, going through the motions because they don't really care, of a ritual hand washing with an especially vigorous scrubbing if they had just come from the market to say nothing of the scourings they'd give jugs and pots and pans. The Pharisees and religion scholars asked, why do your disciples flout the rules showing up at meals without washing their hands? In other words, why aren't they listening to our man-made teachings about if we're clean or not? Jesus answered, Isaiah was right about frauds like you. Hit the bullseye, in fact. These people make a big show of saying the right thing, but their heart isn't in it. They act like they're worshiping me, but they don't mean it. That's what the Pharisees were doing. It was all about them and their pride and their religion and how they looked, and it wasn't about God at all. They just use me as a cover for teaching whatever suits their fancy, ditching God's command and taking up the latest fads. He's like, you're not interested in God at all. You're just doing the right thing to look good, to try to be better than other people. You're making all these rules so you can be the best. And then we go down to verse 17. When he was back home after being with the crowd, his disciples said, we don't get it. Can you put it in plain language? I love it. It's always good to ask questions. When you don't understand something, just ask. Jesus said, are you being stupid? Don't you see that what you swallow can't contaminate you? It doesn't enter your heart, but your stomach. It works its way through the intestines. It's finally flushed. Guys, he's talking like, hey, whatever you eat, you poop it out, okay? That's a care of dietary quibbling. Jesus was saying that all foods are fit to eat. He went on. It's what comes out of a person that pollutes. Obscenities, lust, thefts, murder, adultery, greed, depravity, deceptive dealings, carousing, mean looks, whoa, slander, arrogance, foolishness. All these are vomit from the heart. There's the source of your pollution. Jesus is like, you guys are focused on the outside of the cup and how it looks and how you look, looking good. But what's in your heart? That's what really matters. And what comes up out of your heart? Is it gossip? Is it mean looks? That's what actually matters. It's no mistake that he's telling the servants to fill the ritual washing jars that made them qualified according to human standards to be at the wedding. He's going after all these religious rules. He's going after human traditions. He's like, this is not how you relate to my father. All right, so we go back to John 2 and verse 8. 
Now fill your pitchers and take them to the host, Jesus said. And the servants did. When the host had tasted the water that had become wine, he didn't know what just had happened, but the servants, of course, knew. He called out to the bridegroom, everybody I know begins with their finest wines. And after the guests have had their fill, you know, they're a little drunk, he brings in the cheap stuff. But you've saved the best till now. So what happens? If they had not run out of the good wine, then Jesus could have not brought them the best wine. You know, we have problems, but sometimes problems come right before our promotion. Sometimes we need to come to the end of ourselves. In Matthew, it says, come to the end of our rope, and God is there. Sometimes we need to come to the end of our supply because God's best is there. God steps in with his best when you run out. The best relationships, the best in your finances, the best in your health, the best at your company. He made the best happen for these people. And he made it happen instantly. Growing up, my dad, he used to make wine and uh, he would bottle it up. He would put the bottles on top of the the cupboards in our kitchen. He had like some wine racks up there and they would kind of lay horizontal. And one day we came home and the wine had been fermenting and we hadn't let the air out of them. And so what happened is all the corks had popped off across the kitchen and there's wine all down the cupboards and there's wine on the counters and there's wine on the floor and there's wine across the room on the wall because it had done the whole explosion thing. It's kind of like a weird, scary movie, you know, where it's like, wow, is that blood everywhere? There's wine everywhere. And what my dad was doing, he was making wine and it's a process that takes years for us. It takes years in the natural. But Jesus can do in an instant what takes us years? Come on, he can accelerate what we cannot do. Maybe you've been waiting on something in your life. He can make it happen quicker than you can imagine. Maybe even before the time that he planned for it to happen, like in this miracle, because you're willing to ask. God can bypass years of therapy. He can bypass a condition that needs multiple surgeries and heal you in an instant. He can help you fast track forgiveness. That you've been working on forever with all these self-help books. He can make it happen. But you must ask and then do what he says. Jesus replaced this water meant for ritual cleansing with the best wine representing his blood. Over and over in the Bible, you'll see wine represents his blood. It wasn't just about having a good time at a party. He's picking these jars on purpose. He's replacing the water of people trying to be good enough and cleansing themselves, things that they do to the outside. He's replacing it with his wine, his blood, something that they receive internally that changes them from the inside out. All the people at the party, when they came in, they had to work to be able to eat. They had to cleanse themselves. What do they have to do to drink Jesus' wine? Well, Besides the servants, everybody else just received it. They didn't do a thing. And that's what we do. We receive what Jesus has for us. Come on. He makes it clear that wine represents his blood at the Last Supper. It's Matthew 26, verse 26. During the meal, Jesus took and blessed the bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body. Taking the cup and thanking God, he gave it to them. Drink this, all of you. This is my blood, God's new covenant poured out for many people for the forgiveness of sins. 
He's saying whenever you eat and drink, which is every day, many times a day, remember that it's all about my blood. It's all about my body broken for you. It's all about what I did at the cross. It's about it is finished. Remember that. The wine represents God's new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. God's new way of relating to people. Because what happened is Jesus, he came to fulfill the law, the old covenant, the washings and everything else that was meant to show us, hey, we're not God. He did everything perfectly. He did what we could not do. And he introduced the new covenant. He fulfilled it. And the new covenant is based on relationship with him, relationship with God, not religion. Under the old system, we had to sacrifice sheep and goats. They took on our sins, and it was a temporary fix. We had to cleanse, and it was a temporary solution. Because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. But Jesus, he died once and for all. And because he's fully man, but also an eternal being, he's fully God, he's our eternal solution. And so because Jesus died, his blood sets us free from every sin, past, present, and future. His blood covers it. Come on. That's the new covenant. So when you know Jesus, you don't have to continually cleanse yourself, continually try to be good enough, continually focus on yourself and ask for forgiveness and continually look at the law. No, 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 no. When you know Jesus, he makes you brand new clean. And because you're clean, he puts his Holy Spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit, he puts God's law written on your heart. And so you know what to do. He gives you a new nature that says, I want to live for God. I want to please God. No longer do you want to please your sinful nature. You have a brand new nature. You're a new person. And sometimes when you forget that, what the Holy Spirit does is he'll remind you of who you are. So you're looking at something or you're talking about someone, you're doing something you know you shouldn't be doing. He's like, hey, remember I love you. Remember you are worthy. Remember you are righteous. Remember you're a child of God. He reminds you of who you are. And so you put down those other things. You're like, oh yeah, that's not me. Anytime we try to be good enough by following the law, the Ten Commandments, we fall short. And when we do that, we feel guilt and shame and condemnation. We focus on our unworthiness. Or we lie to ourselves and say, I look good. We're like the Pharisees. I'm clean. But the law cannot make us good. It can only show us where we fall short. It shows us our need for God. 2 Corinthians 3.6 says, The law kills, but the Spirit gives life. The old way of relating to God, it brings death. Because we see all these places we messed up. It brings death to relationships, death to different areas of your life. But the Spirit, He always gives life. Fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Good things from our good Father that overflow because He's overflowing. Because He's generous. He gives it to us and we receive. Because of Jesus, we're good enough. We're a new creation. The old is gone. The new's come. Because of Jesus, we have a new nature. Come on. Instead of trying to earn love and be good enough and work and be perfect and have pressure, we know we're loved. Instead of trying to prove we're worthy, we know that Jesus has made us worthy. And the first miracle of Moses, he turned water into blood and it brought death. 
death to the Egyptians. But in the first miracle of grace, Jesus turned water into wine, and that brought life and celebration. Point two, come on. Grace gives life. Grace gives life. Grace, getting what we don't deserve, not receiving what we do deserve. His grace, the grace of Jesus, it gives us life and life abundantly. Wherever Jesus is, there is life. I used to uh, go to a class. It was called The Way of the Master, probably like 15 years ago. It's a thing by Kirk Cameron. And it's not a bad thing, uh, but basically it teaches you how to talk to people on the street about Jesus. And you walk up to them, you're like, hey, can I talk to you? And then you're like, can I ask you some questions? Are you a good person? And they're like, yeah, I'm a good person. And then you say, have you ever told a lie? And they're like, well, yeah. And you're like, yeah, me too, I've told a lie. Have you ever murdered anybody? And they're like, no, that's crazy. I don't know if I should be talking to you. And they're like, no. But then you're like, well, Jesus said, if you're angry with someone, then you're guilty of murder. And then you're like, have you ever committed adultery? They're like, no. Well, Jesus said, if you ever looked at a woman with lust, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. And what you do is you take people through the Ten Commandments, and at the end of it, you say, okay, so by your own admission, you're a lying, adultering, murdering, basically terrible person. What are you going to do about this problem? And then you lead them to Jesus, right? Jesus is the perfect solution, and he lived perfectly and did what we could not. And, and that works for some people sometimes. Um, I think it helps if you have an evangelist gift. probably helps a lot. But I have found it's much more effective to talk about how good God is, to talk about how Jesus brings life. Come on. We focus on Jesus, who is all about life and celebration. If we're walking around like, ooh, grumpy and not full of life, then we're not representing who he is. Sometimes we get confused. We think, I got a mixed law, which brings death. We already talked about that. With grace. Like, I received grace from Jesus, and he saved me. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to heaven. But now i got to try to earn and live up to this awesome standard of who you are, which is not in the Bible. The Bible says, as you received grace by faith, so walk in it by faith. God wants us to live a life of faith, of trusting in him, of resting in Jesus' finished work, not working and trying and earning. That, that doesn't work. He's like, no, 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 receive from me. There's no place for mixture. When we know Jesus, the law is written on our hearts. His Holy Spirit lives in us, and we want to please him. There's no pressure. There's freedom. If you're feeling pressure, you're operating in religion. Come on over to Jesus. There's no place for mixture. You cannot put new wine into old wineskins. That's what Jesus said. Because what will happen, the new wine, it's got to ferment. It's going to explode because of the pressure, right? Those old wineskins, they'll explode just like my dad's wine. It'll burst. When you try to add law to grace, you feel pressure. Come over to Jesus. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. There's not pressure. In Revelation, Jesus talks about mixing law and grace, the new covenant and the old. He says, when you mix them, it's lukewarm. He says, I'd rather you be cold and try to do everything in religion and follow the law and be good enough yourself. Because when you live life this way, if you live it out the whole way, if you're cold and you try to follow the law, you'll figure out eventually 
I cannot do this. I fall short. And it will lead you to Jesus, who is hot. He says, I want you to be hot or cold. When you are hot, you're receiving my forgiveness. You're receiving my freedom. You receive from me. You're receiving the wine, the blood. I'd rather you be hot because that's following me or cold because that's going to point you to me. You're going to get tired of that life. But if you're lukewarm, if you're mixing the law and grace, I'm going to spit you out. And he's not saying that to be mean. He's saying, that's the worst thing you can do. Don't mix them. He's saying, receive my grace. Rest in my finished work. So in John 2, 11, the end of our story, it says, this act in Cana of Galilee was the first sign Jesus gave, the first glimpse of his glory, and his disciples believed him. This gift of wine for the bride and groom to save you know, their, their pride and, and their reputation. It was a gift for them, yes. But really, it was a sign for the disciples. It was his first miracle. He had just called all these guys to follow him, and it's a sign to say, this is the Messiah. Anytime there's a miracle, it's for belief. Anytime there's a miracle in our lives, it's for us to believe and for us to share with other people for them to believe. It's always so we'll believe in Jesus. So Jesus, he used these water pots to accomplish his first miracle, and he wants to do the same thing today, but he uses living, earthly vessels filled with his Holy Spirit. He uses us, which is so exciting. And one day the Bible says we'll join in what's called the wedding feast of the Lamb, where Jesus comes back for his bride, and we're joined with him in eternity. And that's good news. And sometimes people get nervous about that. You know, I got to get ready for Jesus to come back. I want to show you a parable that Jesus um, taught in Matthew 25, 1. I think it'll help with that. He says, God's kingdom is like ten young virgins who took oil lamps and went out to greet the bridegroom. Five were silly and five were smart. The silly virgins took lamps, but no extra oil. The smart virgins took jars of oil to feed their lamps. The bridegroom didn't show up when they had expected, and they all fell asleep. In the middle of the night, someone yelled out, He's here! The bridegroom's here! Go greet him! The ten virgins got up and got their lamps ready. The silly virgins said to the smart ones, Our lamps are going out. Lend us some of your oil. They answered, There might not be enough to go around. Go buy your own. They did, but while they were out buying oil, the bridegroom arrived. When everyone who was there to greet him had gone into the wedding feast, the door was locked. Much later, the other virgins, the silly ones, showed up and knocked on the door saying, Master, we're here. Let us in. He answered, do I know you? I don't think I know you. So stay alert. You have no idea when he might arrive. So let me give you some context to this wedding picture. We already established that a Jewish wedding, it lasts several days. The whole town is invited. Everyone gets to come. But the way the wedding starts is at the groom's party, they make a nighttime procession to get the bridal party. And the father of the groom, he decides when the wedding will take place. And in the same way, Jesus said, no one will know the day or the hour that he would come back, only the Father. And while the bride was waiting, the groom, he would go build an addition on his father's house for the bride. Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you. John the Baptist, he called himself the best man 
the one who is sent ahead to get things ready for the groom. In this parable, there are five wise virgins and five foolish virgins in the wedding party. All of them address the groom as Lord. You can look at it in the text. They were all invited to the wedding celebration because God wants everyone to know him. And they all wanted to go to the wedding. Once they saw what it was, they're like, huh, yes, please. And the five wise ones, it says they had oil for their lamps. According to the original language, the Greek, the five foolish ones, they didn't not have extra oil. Like my translation says, they had no oil. The foolish virgins, they had no oil. In the Bible, oil represents the Holy Spirit. The five wise virgins, they knew Jesus, and so they had received the Holy Spirit. The five foolish virgins, they never had any oil. They were empty. They looked the part. They never had the ability to let their light shine. Either they didn't know Jesus, or they thought they knew him, but they didn't because they didn't have the Holy Spirit in them. We see it at the end of the parable where Jesus says, do I know you? I don't know you. There are a lot of places in the New Testament where people come to Jesus. He tells parables about them coming to him and they say, you know, we prophesied, we cast out demons in your name. We did lots of cool religious things in your name. We worked so hard for you. We did so much cleansing for you. But it's all dead works because they haven't done the one work that God wants for us to believe in the one he sent to believe in Jesus. Instead of putting their faith in Jesus, they're trusting in themselves. This parable, it describes what the kingdom of heaven will be like at the time of the second coming. And it's a warning to the church. Jesus isn't speaking to his adversaries. He's not speaking to Pharisees. He's not speaking to the crowd. He's talking to his disciples. This story, it's not about being prayed up enough, manufacturing oil. We can't manufacture any of it. Yes, when we get God's presence, we receive and he fills us to overflowing. Yes, when we feel empty, we come to him and he fills us up. But either you have oil or you never had it because you didn't trust in Jesus yet. Romans 8, 9 says, you are doing what the Holy Spirit tells you to do if you have God's spirit living in you. No one belongs to Christ if he does not have Christ's spirit in him. It's that simple. So in our story, all the girls, they fell asleep. They're all resting. The ones with the oil, they're resting in the finished work of Jesus, like us, when you've trusted in Jesus. Now you're just resting in his love, getting to know him, waiting for him to come back. And what happened is the bridegroom, he arrived. The virgins lit their lamps, except the foolish ones, their lamps immediately went out, like the wick caught fire, and then it went out. No oil. So they said to the wise ones, please share your oil with us. And when we read this, it sounds like the wise ones are being mean because they're like, no, go get your own. But they're not being mean. These girls, they couldn't share their oil. Their relationship with Jesus is their relationship. They could tell the other girls about Jesus. They could pray for them. But I can't give my relationship with Jesus to you. You have to choose it for yourself. 
Because God gives us free will. He wants each of us to choose, choose to love him back. What makes us ready for Jesus' arrival is just knowing Jesus, putting our faith in him. This parable, it's about being ready simply because we know him, not because we're doing all these works, but because we know him. It's like firemen, they're trained, they're ready, they don't know when a fire is gonna happen, but when they go to bed at night, they know there could be a fire. So they're ready, even when they're sleeping. They're ready because of who they are. We're ready simply because we know Jesus. What happens with knowing Jesus though is sometimes we think, there's a lot of time left, you know, I I can wait and put my trust in him when I'm in my 30s when I'm in my 60s, when I'm in my 90s, when I'm on my deathbed. Yeah, you could do that. Sometimes we think there's plenty of time to tell our friends about him. But what if there's not? We don't know when he'll come back. The Father decides it. Our life is a vapor. We don't know how long it'll last. Every day is a gift. Point three is that time is not guaranteed. Life's not guaranteed. And that's not a scary thought, but it gives us urgency. It doesn't pressure us like, oh, pastor said time's not guaranteed. I got to tell everybody about Jesus. Come over here into the cleansing pot and do my good works. No, that won't produce any fruit. It's religion. It's dead. Knowing Jesus is about letting the Holy Spirit live in you and he produces things in you and he tells you to talk to people and he has things for you to share with people that you couldn't know, that only he knows. He directs our steps. We tell people our Holy Ghost stories by partnering with the Holy Spirit. This week I was at the walk-in clinic with my kids and I was explaining how my son has been sick every day since school started and I was making a conversation with the nurse. And she was saying, oh, where do you guys go to school? And I was saying, Hope Academy. And she said, where's that? I'm like, Corning, New York. She's like, wow, that's like an hour from here. Why do you drive up there? And I'm like, well, actually, I'm the pastor of the church up there. She's like, that's so cool. I'm like, yeah. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit, he opened my eyes. Because before we would come in, we're pretty frequent flyers, and we would come in and I would be like, okay, I need help with my problem and my kids. And that's not bad. But in that moment, God opened up my eyes to say, no, no, no. I want to take these problems with your kids being sick and I want to use them to reach these people here. This is your mission field. And I saw them differently. That's what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. God can use all things in your life, even things that seem bad for our good and for his glory. He can use all those things to reach people, not because we're trying, but because we're trusting him. We're saying, God, I trust you. I want to do what pleases you. Use me. Open my eyes. Show me who to talk to. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and you've been thinking, I got my whole life to figure out this God thing, Maybe you do. Or maybe Jesus is coming back sooner than you think. Maybe you have time. Or maybe your life won't look like what you think it's going to look like. Either way, it doesn't really matter. Why waste any time not knowing Jesus? When you know Jesus, he makes everything in your life better. Not perfect, 
not what you think it should look like. It's probably wildly different than what you think it should look like, but it's a good thing. He shows you who he created you to be. And he gives you himself, his spirit. He gives you peace. He gives you all the things that you've been looking for, things that are eternal. He gives you love, things that you're thirsty for, things that you've been searching for, and everything else but him. He does that while you trust in him. And it's a continual process of resting in him and letting him change you from the inside out. And it's just not knowing him to check a box. We see in this parable, that's not the kind of knowing he wants you to experience. There will be people who Jesus says, I don't know you. Pharisees who say, well, we did all these things for you. He's like, no, no, no. I just wanted you to trust me. I wanted you to know me. Don't just think you know him because I tell you about him. I can't give you my oil, but you can get to know him for yourself. He has oil for you too. Let's close our eyes. We're going to bow our heads. If you want to begin a relationship with Jesus today, it simply starts with a prayer. And we're going to pray out loud together. If you've never prayed to trust in Jesus, would you pray with us? We say, God, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I trust in your blood. Make me a new creation. Show me how to live for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.